From KPFK in Los Angeles, California, Valley Free Radio in Florence, and WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, WNUC in Detroit, and BikeTalk.org worldwide, this is Bike Talk. Bike Talk. Hey, Nick. Hey, Taylor. How are things in Massachusetts? Oh, it's beautiful. I always hear that I love New York in June, but I think fall in New York is pretty good also. And I know you're not in New York, but Alexa Sledge is. Alexa, welcome to Bike Talk. Thank you so much for having me. Alexa is the Transportation Alternative Associate Director of Communications. I think you guys do a great job and we're really glad to have you on the show again. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. What's going on in New York? Last week was a really tough week in New York City. We had the 26th cyclist fatality this year. So this is the deadliest year for bike riders in New York City since the onset of Vision Zero and the second deadliest year for bike riders in recorded history in the five boroughs. Vision Zero is a complete failure on both coasts. I don't know if I'd say Vision Zero is a failure. The ideas behind Vision Zero, the impetus behind it, and the meaning behind it all still very much ring true, and it's definitely something we need to be fighting for. But Vision Zero is so much more than just a statement, just something you're fighting for. You actually have to also do things to implement Vision Zero. And that's what we're really right. seeing as an issue here in New York City, is that the mayor is saying one thing, saying he supports bikes, saying he supports bike lanes, and then doing absolutely nothing to protect people who are biking on our streets. Right. You know, I feel like the last few mayors in New York, de Blasio and of course now Adams have been that way. It's, we have to go all the way back to Bloomberg to find a mayor who put his words into action into safe streets. Yeah. So back when things were also really bad, back in, I believe, 2019, we had a major protest in Washington Square Park. We had a die-in with hundreds and hundreds of people with their bicycles. And so we're doing the exact same thing this week. Not the exact same thing, but very similar. We're having a mass protest in front of City Hall to call on the mayor to finally do something, just like we did back in 2019, because this level of death, this level of serious injury is just completely unacceptable. I'm glad that you mentioned both those death and serious injury, because sometimes we just get caught up in counting the deaths and not in the serious injuries. And they are both catastrophic. Yeah, we just got a new dashboard, I want to say two or three weeks ago, that catalogs every single serious injury in New York City in the past year and a half. And we found that for every single fatality, there's 11 serious injuries. What do you think is the cause of the rise? I've been in New York a couple of times in the last few years. And The infrastructure seems to be getting better. Is it just that there are more people biking? What do you think the issue is? There's definitely more people biking. There's lots of numbers to show that post-pandemic, a lot of New Yorkers turned to bikes and they're really not coming back to our mass transit systems. They're going to continue biking. We've also relied so much on bike delivery. So we have so many more people working on our streets using bicycles than we did prior to the pandemic. So just so so many people in these lanes using this infrastructure and just nowhere near enough infrastructure. If we look at where these deaths are happening, they're happening in areas where there is absolutely zero safe streets infrastructure, be that a bike lane, a protected bike lane, a leading pedestrian interval, a raised crosswalk, anything like that that's going to keep people safe. So it's happening in areas where there haven't been any physical improvements. Absolutely. And it's happening in areas where we're seeing this happen over and over and over again. We're seeing it the same streets, the same roads, the same intersections are repeatedly deadly, repeatedly dangerous. And then we're not seeing the improvements that we need to be seeing. And then we're also seeing that when the mayor is promising that he's going to make changes to roads, he's ultimately ending up backtracking just a couple of weeks later. So for example, on McGinnis Boulevard, which is a road here in Brooklyn, right next to my apartment, the Department of Transportation promised to be putting in a full bike lane along the entire road, improvements along the entire 
entire road. And now they're saying it's only going to happen on the northern section of the road. The southern section of the road is going to remain dangerous, even though we know this is a road that has killed so many New Yorkers and continues to be the cause of so many crashes on a daily basis. What do you think the reason that he's backtracking in? Is it NIMBYs raising their voice, kind of like what happened on Prospect Park? It really seems to be that the mayor has a senior advisor named Ingrid Lewis Martin that's very close to him and has worked with him for years who really, really hates street improvement projects. And there seems to be a repeated pattern where if you live in an area and you don't like a street improvement project, you don't want a bike lane, you don't want any sort of safe streets infrastructure, you go directly to Ingrid and she'll get it killed for you. Wow, that's really depressing. Nick, you always say this. This is what we talk about every week. How do we make our streets safer? And we all know the medicine that is required to make streets safe, whether it be protected bike lanes or raised bike lanes or 20 is plenty sections of road. Or What we're starting to talk about now is how do we argue these cases? We're actually about to play an interview that is a response to an interview played last week about the center running bike lane on Valencia in San Francisco. And these groups have opposite opinions about the lane and they're not working with each other and they're all part of the bike advocacy scene in San Francisco. So I did want to talk to Alexa about how you get things done, how you join forces with people. As the Associate Director of Communications, Alexa, you must deal with that all the time. You know, Alexa, we had Charles Kamenoff on the show a month or two ago and he's a big New York cycling advocate and who was in charge of TA for a while. He said something that kind of stuck with me, fight for the best treatment you can get on the road, but take what you can get at the same time. That's definitely true. Obviously, we want to have streets that are safe for everyone, and we know how to design streets that are safe for everyone. But a street that is safer for the vast majority of users is still going to be significantly better than one that is dangerous for so many people. And so it's kind of a tough decision at all times on whether you want to let perfect be the enemy of good. So we have traffic engineers, we have Vision Zero experts who work in the city's car and transportation, and they are giving official expert recommendations on what we should do for streets and intersections. They're like, this is what you should do. This will make it safe. And then we're seeing other people in the mayor's office and his administration overruling these people that are traffic and safety experts. And that's really a major, major issue here is that we have the experts on our side being like, yes, that's exactly what we need to do. That's going to make our streets safe. And then we have people that are not experts and know nothing about this being like, no, I actually don't want to hear you or listen to you. And I refuse to do anything. Well, it just shows you how powerful the car dominance is. Absolutely true. The interview that we're going to play in a second, Alexa, is about center bike lane on Valencia Street in San Francisco. And before we play that, I thought I'd ask you, are there any center bike lanes in New York that either are there or that have created controversy among advocates? That's a really good question. I can't think of any off the top of my head. There are some bike lanes that end up going into the center of a street when streets involve a lot of different like right and left turns in different directions. This straightforward bike lane can often end up in the middle of the street. But this really isn't been an issue that I've seen a lot of fighting over during my tenure, but definitely possible that it predates me. Just wait, (laughs) (laughs) because we're going to play an interview now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bike Talk. This is Seamus Gerdy. I am here with a few of San Francisco's greatest advocates, Robin Pam, Sarah Bars, and Amandeep Jawa. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We're going to talk about Valencia Street in the city of San Francisco. Go around and introduce yourselves and talk about your role in bike advocacy in San Francisco. 
I'm Robin Pam. I run Kids Safe San Francisco. We are an advocacy organization that is fighting to make our streets safe enough for kids to walk and bike to school and their daily destinations. We also led the campaign to close JFK Drive and Golden Gate Park to cars, which was a huge victory we had last year at the ballot in San Francisco. And now we're working on bringing the magic of the JFK promenade, which has been a huge success in the city to other streets and districts in the city as well. So Valencia really is falling squarely into our mission of expanding the joy from JFK to other parts of the city. My name is Sarah Bars. I'm a volunteer leader with Kids Safe SF. So I'm very involved in Kids Safe SF and work a lot with Robin. Um, I'm also the mayor of my slow street. So I help to organize the advocates that are advocating for Slowhurst in San Francisco. And I also have been working a lot with an organization called Friends of Valencia that I think Deep will speak a little bit more about. But it's, of course, a volunteer group of safe street advocates that are really interested in making the Valencia corridor an exciting destination for all. My name is Amandeep Jawa. Everybody calls me Deep. And I'm a longtime transportation and environmental activist in San Francisco. I was on the board of the Bike Coalition for 5,000 years. I am on the board of the San Francisco League of Conservation Voters. I'm also here as a representative of Friends of Valencia. And I'm a grizzled veteran of Valencia Street. Why is Valencia Street so significant? It's a strange street in that it has been designed as an arterial, a north-south arterial through some of the mission. There are nearby streets that are also large arterials. In some ways, it has been an arterial. In some ways, it's a business corridor with thriving shops and stuff like that. My knowledge of Valencia really started around 1999. There was a major effort then to bring bike lanes to Valencia and reduce the flow of cars. It was an early traffic coming and one of the first long stretches of dedicated bike lanes striped in San Francisco. And it was a huge success. Valencia did really well. The bicyclists came, felt much safer. Businesses liked it. Everything was kind of working more or less. Valencia is a strange street in that it's a great place despite its physical nature, right? The sidewalks are super narrow. There's a lot of space for traffic. But nonetheless, it's very popular. Despite itself, it is a great pedestrian street. And it has historically been a great bicycling street since those bike lanes came in. The next big push was 2010. There was an effort that I was a big part of to widen sidewalks on Valencia because the sidewalks are so narrow that it doesn't fit with how vibrant the street life is. Right before the pandemic, and then the pandemic happened, and in that interim, one of the things the city has been very successful and is very popular on Valencia are the shared spaces and parklets that has very narrow sidewalks, confused and mixed parking situation on the sides of the street, and then it has bikes and cars sort of mishmashed together with bike lanes. But the other thing that has really happened is the rise of things like DoorDash and Uber Eats, which means that our side running bike lanes have been overrun by double parked cars, massively so. And that was happening before the pandemic, but through the course of the pandemic and after it's become even worse so that our bike lanes have become largely useless as is. So that was the situation when the effort 
started to try something else, try to revisit Valencia? And should we do more side running bike lanes? Should we do something different? Should we pedestrianize the street entirely? That's where we were sometime last year. We've been working on this with SFMTA, which is our transportation agency for the past year plus. They first proposed the center running bike lane, which people have probably seen some hubbub about this on social media and division within our advocacy community about how people feel about this design. The design was proposed essentially to balance all of the needs, the curb demands, the parking, the loading for merchants, Ubers and DoorDashes, constantly double parking in the bike lane and prioritizing safety for people biking. The lane went in earlier this summer The SFMTA, the transportation agency, said that it would be a one-year pilot. When this decision happened to install this lane, the decision that was presented was between installing this quick-build pilot within a matter of months as a center-running bike lane across eight blocks or so of the street versus doing nothing for the foreseeable future. The agency did have a plan for side-running bike lanes for part of the corridor, but not for a section of the corridor that has wider sidewalks where the largest concentration of merchants are. They had essentially said, we can't do the side running bike lanes right now because that would require a lot more work to engineer something that would be safe and that would also balance the needs of merchants. So back in the spring, there was a choice, proceed with this pilot or do nothing. And what we had worked on were a couple of things. The first one was getting some money to do some studies to lay the groundwork for pedestrianizing the corridor in the future. There are different options on the table from fully closing down one or two blocks of Valencia to cars entirely to closing one lane of traffic for a couple of blocks and making it a one-way street with a loading lane and a two-way bike lane. We don't have any pedestrian malls in this city. We don't have any commercial shopping streets that have been closed to cars that are prioritized for pedestrians and bicycle traffic. And we also have a very fragmented way of managing our streets. We have SFMTA that's responsible for the street itself, our Department of Public Works that's responsible for the sidewalks and pedestrian infrastructure there. We have our rec and park department that is really good at taking our public spaces and making them into places that people want to be. And we have our Office of Economic and Workforce Development that can work with small businesses and manage their needs. But we don't have anything to like put this all together. The city Mm -hmm. hasn't done this. So what we're working on from an advocacy perspective is actually trying to work thoughtfully with the city to make this happen. And I think as advocates across the country, we have to be aware that the people on the other end of our conversations are just people trying to do their jobs. And they're in these agencies and in these systems where they're stuck in this bureaucracy. And we have to work with them to give them air cover to do the things that they actually want to do. And we have to work with them constructively to help them actually get their job done. As we think about how do we make Valencia a pedestrian corridor, what we're working on with Friends of Valencia is actually trying to do the hard work to organize neighbors and organize merchants to uncover the concerns people have and address those concerns, bring them to SFMTA staff and work with them on How do we move beyond this pilot to a place where Valencia can actually be the best version of itself? Mm -hmm. And there's so many stakeholders and it's so difficult that one project manager within a transportation agency 
who's really trained as an engineer, not as a communications person, not as a neighborhood coalition builder, can actually get their job done. There's a lot of pieces there, but... I think it's a really valuable conversation within advocacy of how do we get our cities to do the things we want them to do? And it really involves working constructively with the staff on the other end. Some advocates have spoken about the central bike lane as being something that's dangerous and unintuitive. I think there's a shared goal to pedestrianize Valencia. Would you say that the current design is something that's going in that direction? Is it successful? I'm a big fan of our center running bike lane. I think it has its issues. I think there are improvements to be made. I was guardedly optimistic when we put it in, and I am now a big fan of it. Now, you asked a different question as well about, does this get us to our longer term goal of Valencia? And that it's murkier, right? For me, at least, and for a lot of people I've talked to, this is a much better bike lane. Does it make me feel safer? Does it better than what we had for a transportation solution? I would say wholeheartedly, yes. I feel like the car traffic has slowed as a secondary thing. But the larger question you asked about, is it getting us to where we want on Valencia? I don't know. I mean, it depends on what we do next, right? This is just the first part of a pilot. And this is a pilot of the transportation layout of one possibility on Valencia. But our ambitions for Valencia are much bigger than transportation. This is a place and let's treat it as a first class place. And what do other users want? And how do we get more pedestrians? And we want our businesses thriving and we want people to feel happy, comfortable, safe and enjoy their time on Valencia. And that's a long road. Well, how does Valencia Street's traffic and safety situation compare with other streets on the high injury network in San Francisco? Is it more business oriented It is included on the high injury network map in San Francisco, which is, of course, the network of roads that represent the most significant number of crashes and fatalities in the city. There is definitely danger for people walking and biking. And that was one of the things that the center running bikeway was trying to address. Is there a next step here? Are we going to see the city revisit the design? I know you have a pretty broad listenership. I'm a listener. Great podcast. Thank you very much. I think the struggles that we're having on Valencia are unique with respect to, is the center running bikeway the right design for this corridor or not? I actually think that there's really useful lessons for lots of advocates in the United States. And in our cities, we have tons of technical debt around re-engineering our streets to be for people and not cars. That I think is common in lots of places. That is not unique to San Francisco. What that means though, is advocates do better when we bring people along, when we actually work with the merchants such that they can see the benefit of these changes and don't see them as just something to be afraid of. You can't persuade everybody, but there are people, for instance, who are merchants on the Valencia corridor who really want to make Valencia a safe destination for people. They want to help tell that story. So if we can work together to build coalitions of support for these kinds of changes, persuade maybe shop owners who are concerned about the impacts to their business, that this will be a good investment. This is a good thing for advocates to do. And that's what we're trying to do with Friends of Valencia. I would just encourage all of your listeners who are maybe in similar situations where they're trying to sell a street safety project. Have you talked to the merchants on the corridor? Do you know how they feel about it? It is extremely helpful to bring those people along and also listen to them when they have concerns. 
It doesn't mean that their fears get to dictate the design, but just truly listen to them and being able to respond to their concerns. I have a slightly different take than both what Robin and Sarah said, though very close. And Robin mentioned providing air cover to people in the city government who are trying to work through this. And Sarah mentioned working with the businesses. And that's absolutely critical. There's also a role for advocates to push, right? I listened to some of the podcasts yesterday, and I understand the anger and the frustration and the yelling at people. But it's very easy for that to be not constructive and not build to what we need. On the other hand, you do need a little bit of fire in your belly to make change, right? I've hunted for the past, I don't know, 20 years for that right line between screaming at people about cars and not getting anywhere to just throwing up my hands and saying, everybody wants a car, I give up, right? There is a line And Sarah and Robin touched on it. You have to do the hard work of working with the ground truth, the people you're with, what they want, what they need, and respecting them and their needs. You also still need to push, right? We are pushing against a status quo. So you need to still have that fire in your belly. You still need to be able to say, hey, we need to do better. It's very easy to get tripped up in city hall people saying, well, we couldn't possibly do that. Well, you got to push them a little bit, but you still got to be their friend and work with them. And it's very easy to get tripped up with businesses saying, no, I have to have all of this parking. There's no other option. And you will hear that. You've got to be able to engage with that. And it's a very complicated dance. I'm not sure I'm great at it. I understand what Luke and Stacy were saying about this is holy crap. But also, we are making progress here. It is slow. It's hard work. This is what it looks like in San Francisco and in a lot of cities in the United States to make this kind of progress, right? You've just got to get out there. You've got to meet with people. You've got to talk to people. And you can't just scream at the people who you disagree with and tell them that they're wrong and that they're killing people. I am Mr. Climate Emergency. I want this done yesterday, right? But I've seen enough to know that if I just yell at all of the businesses on my street, they're just going to dig their heels in and I get nowhere. What can people do? What can our listeners do to make Valencia Street car free? One day. So next steps, <laughs> Kids Save SF and Friends of Valencia organized a coffee and donuts and a playground meeting this past weekend where MTA staff came and presented and shared feedback to some of the concerns residents had raised and answered questions on behalf of a lot of people who are still really curious about the design and the process. So I'm going to point out as a thing that advocates should definitely do is post Q&As, especially moderated ones where you don't let anybody yell at anybody, right? Deep moderated it. He did an amazing job. Everybody, I think, left that conversation feeling like, oh, I know a little bit more about what went on for this project. And also, I didn't feel personally attacked. But where I really wanted to go is that they came and they said that in October, they were going to be presenting initial data on how the bikeway is performing. And so we're really eagerly looking forward to seeing what that looks like. KidSafe has a Telrom traffic counting sensor on the Valencia corridor. We installed it before SFMTA installed the center running bikeway. And one of the things that we've seen is actually a pretty significant mode shift over the past few months. So we're seeing a lot more people on two wheels and a lot more pedestrian traffic. We're also seeing lower traffic speeds than what we saw before. So the V85, right, the 85th percentile speed on the corridor is at its worst, like 16 miles per hour. Those kinds of very early impressions that that we're independently seeing with our Telerom sensor is pretty cool. So now what can listeners do? 
I would say a couple of things. One, if you live in San Francisco and you want to see Valencia become a destination for people and not just cars, you should shop in the shops on Valencia and tell the merchants that it matters to you. It's really important. Two, you should go to shared spaces. You should make shared spaces, which is the Saturday street closures. People get to come out and use the space. You should come, especially in the month of October. Friends of Valencia is activating a block. We'd love to have you come and hang out with us. Also, patronize the shops. Tell them that this is important to you. And then finally, I will just say that you can definitely get involved in the Friends of Valencia group. We have lots of need for volunteers. We're doing a lot of cool stuff in the near future. So go to the Friends of Valencia website and sign up for our email list. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for your podcast. After your interview, Seamus has now joined us. Yeah, so after the interview with Robin, Sarah, and Amandeep about Valencia, we thought it would be a good idea to have Stacy Randecker back on and offer her perspective on what they said. So here is Stacy Randecker. Hi. Thanks for having me back on. I heard what they said. And first off, I have to give it up for Deep because one thing that wasn't mentioned is he is the home of the very first not retail or city-oriented anything parklet. It's called Deepestan. It's in front of his house on Valencia Street. And I consider him kind of a legend when it comes to safe streets and biking and wanting things to be better. So it was kind of tough to hear him. And don't get me wrong, I've said this before, the Kids Safe SF people did an amazing job with getting the JFK promenade across the finish line so that we could have that wonderful space. But when it comes to Valencia, they are dead wrong. They have said that, well, it's better than nothing. And that's all we're going to get. And that this is somehow progress. And to look at the street holistically at what all is there and say that that was good enough, those center running lanes, and to not push for pedestrianization, to not extend the side running lanes that are working at the lower end of Valencia, it's just wrong and it's the wrong kind of advocacy and they don't live there or near there and it's very frustrating. How long has the center bike lane been in effect? I'll let Luke tell you because he's joined us. Hey all, yeah, thanks for having me on. So to answer your question, the center bike way was approved in early April The agency started construction in record time within two to three weeks. People on bikes and scooters started using the center bikeway within a month at the beginning of May. But the agency, SFMTA, did not officially open the bikeway until August. And that's also when they officially started their 12-month pilot, even though people had been using it for three months already. I heard Deep's experience of feeling like it's a safer bikeway. And I've heard that from other people. And what we're dealing with here is people who focus just on the double parking in the center bikeway. But if we look at hard quantitative data, there have been more crashes, collisions, and injuries with the center bikeway than even the previous painted unprotected bike lanes, and exceptionally more than the curbside protected bike lanes that exist between Market Street and 15th Streets on Valencia. If the street was pedestrianized, we wouldn't be having these injuries. Um, So either curbside protected bike lanes or pedestrianization would make the street far safer than it is right now. And that's why I and Stacey are advocating for the city to take immediate action to replace the center bikeway, either with pedestrianization or curbside protected bike lanes. Right. 
Because most of the conflict is happening in the intersections and they are just a bleep show, (laughs) if you will. There is to be no left turns on to or off of Valencia Street. And that is how the pedestrian was killed. That is how many have gotten injured. The cyclists that are using the bike lane as it's designed it becomes sort of like an expressway. So if you want to zoom through Valencia and not stop at any of the businesses and you're just trying to get north-south, mm-hmm. it actually, other than the intersections, is not terrible. One of the things that we've been talking about on the show is when do you play within the system and when do you ruffle feathers? And I'm just curious, but if the center bike lane has only been in since August, it's only been in a couple of months, is it worth it to give it time to see if it does work? A death and severe injury. That's unacceptable to me. Tomlin, the head of the agency, even said, if it's a disaster, you, the board, can vote to end the pilot early and staff would be okay with that. SFMTA has refused to create an official curbside protected bike lane design for between 15th and 19th streets. They continue to tell the public that if they remove the center bikeway, they would have to go back to paint only unprotected bike lanes never mentioning the fact that they could create a curbside protected bike lane design and install that. And so what they have continued to do, and they did this before the approval as well, is that they would tell people, listen, you can have the center bikeway or you can have nothing. And so I'm continuing to call for them to create curbside protected bike lanes. And unfortunately, people who support the center bikeway and continue to kind of pacify the public with like, oh, we'll just give it some time are making the problem worse because it's allowing the agency to avoid accountability, to actually create a design for curbside protected bike lanes. And so they can continue to tell the public, listen, if you don't like this, we'll just go back to what you had before. And then everyone says, no, 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 don't go back to that. Isn't the current configuration seen as something temporary? Isn't it sort of like a impermanent design? They are telling the public that this is a 12-month pilot, which again, the official pilot started three months after people started using it. So some could argue that we're already now five months into that 12-month pilot. Is the death directly attributable to the design? What the official position at SFMTA has taken is that the center bikeway is completely unrelated to the death. Now, I think as all of us know, the design of a street, including the installation of a bikeway in the center of the street, contributes to the dynamics of the street. If it is debatable, at least, it sounds like the position of the city, it must be justifiable to some extent, right? This isn't just about the death of this 80-year-old man. We're talking about, again, I've been keeping track of crashes, collisions, and injuries, they have gone up significantly since the installation of the center bikeway. So all of the data suggests that that's a bad situation. People aren't stopping at businesses. So if we went and looked at receipts from the businesses, they probably actually see a decrease in revenue from people on bikes stopping their businesses. And on top of that, because I ride Valencia every day, the slower car speeds that Deep and Sarah referenced, what that looks like in reality is car congestion on Valencia. Car congestion on the street has increased significantly. People basically idling in cars, which obviously decreases the environment 
and pollutes the air for everyone on Valencia and the businesses there. So like this project is an abject failure in every way possible. And we just need more people demanding the city to fix it. And we're not saying go back to paint only unprotected bike lanes. It's just replace it with pedestrianization or curbside protected bike lanes. If you're that just going to have a pilot that runs for a year and it's experimental in design, why not go for something that is actually unique and reduces the intimidation, injury, and fatalities that we have on our street? This is absolutely bar none, the richest corridor that we have in San Francisco. I mean, vibrant, not wealthy. It has more bars and restaurants and schools and churches than any other street in our city. Why wouldn't we do all that we could to make this work for people, people on foot, people on bikes? I really believe that a pedestrian street sounds like it's the right thing. But is perfect the enemy of the good? We have had the hottest summer on record. We have had the hottest September on record. If we do not get serious about this in our cities, and especially the ones who are so blessed and lucky, like California with our weather, how are we ever going to make it out of this alive? We need to be taking radical action. We need to change everything about how we get around. We need to make it easier to walk, to bike, and to take transit. We have been saying that we're transit first for 50 years in this city, and not one day has it been true. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of us having to settle for like, oh, it's okay. Let's not upset the cars or the businesses or whatever. What about people and their lives? And how are we going to make it out of here and survive on this planet? We are really lucky to have both of you on the side of safe streets on our side. Thank you for all the work you've been doing. Thank you for your passion about this too, honestly. yeah. Thank you. It's hard to just sit idly by and say, oh, it's good enough. Stacy and Luke, thank you. Thank you all. I'm going to be in San Francisco at the end of the week. I'm going to try to ride Valencia Street. It'll depend on if I can get my hands on a bike. I would love to have wheels on the ground and see what it's like, actually. And you have to love Stacy's passion. You do. It's a complicated issue. I don't know where I land on it, but maybe if I get to ride it this week, I'll have a better sense of it. Right. But the complicated issue is also how do we go about implementing these road changes? Do we fight like hell no matter what, or do we take what we can get in certain cases? We probably need both. That brings up Nick's interview. Nick, you were in Northampton and you interviewed someone there about how you message the progress. Yeah, I talked to George Kohout, and here it is. I'm with George Kohout, president of Friends of Northampton Trails. George, it's kind of a small town, right? Northampton, but it's connected to the whole region, and you're connected to the whole region with Northampton Trails. And when it comes to bike advocacy, you're it. That's very kind of you, Nick. I don't think I'm it. I think the Friends of Northampton Trails plays a good role in it. You know, I wear this other hat where I'm on the planning board in Northampton. When projects come before us, we can uh, talk to developers about access to trails, about bike amenities, things of that nature. So that gives me another platform to kind of get the message out about biking infrastructure. 
But we live in a progressive city for Western Mass. They understand more and more how bike trails, people who bike are a component of our transportation system and really necessary to move people around and get kids safely to school, get people to work, get people shopping, things like that. So I think I'm in a fortunate place to be able to push the bike infrastructure agenda a little bit. Are there other bike advocacy or sustainable transportation advocacy organizations? The other strong one would be Mass Bike, which is oh, a statewide yeah, advocacy group. And they do a wonderful job around policy in Boston with the legislatives. They do a lot of other promotion of bike rides and things like that. Friends of Northampton Trails also encompass theoretically hiking trails and other greenways. It's not all about bicycles. It's also about people who use the trail network for running and jogging and recreation. What are your thoughts about having the term bike advocacy? It seems so specific, but there are people who identify as bike people, right? Yeah, that's a really good point. A lot of people, when you say bike advocacy, it raises their hackles a little bit because I don't have the time to ride my bike. I can't go shopping on my bike. I'm annoyed at those fellows dressed up all in spandex who rush by me on the sidewalk or on the bike path. By emphasizing bicycles, we actually kind of create a little stir with people who think we're pushing an agenda too, too much. We try to wrap up some of our bike advocacy certainly in terms of the positive impact it might have on climate change and mitigating some of those negative impacts. I'm the first one to say, you know, every time we see a bicyclist, that means he or she is not driving a car around, perhaps. That's why we're big supporters of e-bikes. They have their impacts, too. We understand that, but at least they're not clogging the roads. They're not a single occupancy vehicle riding around and taking up space on our roads and adding to the negative emissions. Being a climate change advocate might almost be a higher level to talk about. And biking is one of those subsets of cleaner climate advocacy. You know, Nick, one of the bigger things that's going on is the Main Street redesign of Northampton. Northampton is probably the most visited downtown in all of Western Mass because of its commercial base, because of its restaurants, its shops, its outdoor cafes. Recognizing that, the city wants to make it as safe as possible for people who are coming to town. Uh, the redesign is really going to impact how people who are principally car drivers, autoists, interface with the town. You know, there may be a little less parking on Main Street. Instead of going through town at 25 miles an hour, they may go have to go through town at 15 miles an hour. That sets us up for a back and forth with people that could be a little uncomfortable at times, especially if we represent the bicyclists in this debate. What we're seeing across the country, I think, whether it's here or Palo Alto or Spokane or Eugene, that downtowns need to become safer and safer for people of all kinds of abilities, whether they're walking or rolling or riding a bike or taking public transportation or taking a car. One reason to talk about bike advocacy is that bike people will show up if it's about bikes. And when you have a coalition, like you said, for climate change, a coalition is made up of affinity groups. Uh -huh. Bike advocacy or climate change advocacy groups speak to a young families, people with young children who they really want to pass down this planet that has some kind of future to it. And I think they realize that if we can get our children riding bikes and walking and taking public transportation early on, and that becomes part of the fabric of their lives, 
the planet and their community is going to be that much better. It is pulling in not just these able-bodied men and women in their 30s who ride high-end bikes, but people now who are using cargo bikes to ferry their children to school, to go shopping, and those kinds of activities that, again, get people out of cars. It's kind of a ripple effect, and it can be helpful ways to all these communities try to meet their carbon goals in 2030, 2040. I was told by more than one person that climate change is the wrong appeal for traffic calming, road redesign, but you live in a progressive area. Yeah. Advocates need to have a couple of different messages and, as you said, attract different affinity groups to get behind your banner. When it comes to road design, the priority is usually around safety. If you slow traffic down, if there are collisions, there's going to be less of an impact because... You're going to have a fender bender and not a T-bow where someone's going to get hurt. And then if you don't have traffic lights, which have a roundabout, that does both things. That slows traffic down so that if there's an accident, it's very minor. But also you don't have cars queuing up and idling, which many folks don't realize creates kind of an emission situation. You know, and then we can talk about if you have, say, that roundabout or that slower road diet, you're allowing the elderly and people with disabilities to cross the street in a much safer way, which they weren't able to do before. So that's a whole nother kind of affinity group or population that can get behind a lot of road changes, the road dieting and road narrowing. Just to speak to climate change in and of itself often doesn't resonate with everyone for sure. Regardless of what our weather crises are like now in different parts of the world, some folks just still don't believe that the planet is suffering and humans are the cause of it. In the local newspaper, you see articles that are opposing this redesign. And some of the letters to the editor are saying, don't I have the right to a parking space in front of the store I want to shop at? How many people agree with that? Most people understand that that's not a reality that we want to continue to support. People who write in, Nick, their viewpoint is a little narrow. I'm trying to understand it, as we all should, walk in somebody else's shoes. Often those are people who are perhaps elderly, and they don't want to park and need to walk a quarter of a mile or three or four minutes to their destination. Northampton's a great example of a destination city. So most people do come in and park their car and spend 90 minutes, two hours, three hours doing different things in the city. They're just not going to stop and buy one thing at a store and leave. They're coming for much more of a downtown experience that's going to involve walking, window shopping, getting a coffee, going into two stores, getting lunch, uh, meeting with some people outside, running into friends. There's a big commuter parking lot. It would be wonderful if a shuttle bus ran from there every 15 minutes, but we don't have the resources to fund something like that. Many people would do that if they do is every 15 minutes, they'd have an opportunity to get a bus going in or out. People don't understand why the new Main Street design needs to have protected bike lanes included down Main Street, one on both sides. And we kind of tell them that it's like that Field of Dreams movie with Kevin Costner. If you build something like that, that's safe and protected, more and more cyclists will come into town and use it. We're not seeing a lot of bicyclists in town because it's a dangerous situation. If we provide a safe infrastructure for bicyclists, more and more of them will adapt to the roads and adapt their lifestyle to using bikes. Bikes own, so to speak, or have a right to part of the roadway. 
just as cars do, and a safe way to use the road, too. There was an argument about critical mass, and a lot of people make the point that you're not doing yourself a favor by making drivers angry. What do you say to that? I mean, you were involved in a critical mass that I think you rebranded. Yeah, yeah. Because of that pushback and because we wanted to engage families in it, we did decide to kind of move away from kind of the radical strident notion of critical mass. Now we call it a bike party, as do other cities like Boston. So it's a festive event, but it gets at the same goals of groups of bicyclists who feel safe because they're riding in a group and then can also take over some of the streets when we ride. And we're a physical manifestation for many autoists that, holy cow, look at all these bicyclists. I need to either join them or be very careful as a driver. We are part of the transportation system, bikes, and it's not just cars. People I know who are very confident professionals just say, no, I don't ride downtown Northampton because I feel nervous out there because of the car's behavior. So this gives them an opportunity when they're in a group to ride a couple of times in city streets and say, hey, maybe I can do this by myself, even though I don't have a protected bike lane. Those kind of group rides really do help because it's a different type of bicyclist. We often see out here, those Pelotons, they're strong athletes and they're men and women who have very good bikes. They've been doing it for a while and they ride together. We're really trying to reach out to a different kind of bike rider who's going to do it more as chores, getting kids to school, just getting from point A to point B and not in a hardcore kind of exercise way, recreation way. We have a Halloween theme one where we're going to dress up in costumes, hit a couple of graveyards, do some spooky things. And what a great way to spend Halloween. What else are you excited about, looking forward to? You've met my friend Craig Della Pena, who is pushing statewide to finish this paved rail trail, mostly paved, from Northampton out to Boston. And what he's hammering at the past year is what a positive economic impact it has on all the little cities that this trail will go through. Because bicycling has become a real tourist attraction, rail trails in different cities. People chart their vacations now by where they can go out and use a bike. The other real interesting thing besides the tourism aspect of bicycles is the e-bikes that are cropping up. If the price can come down, if the batteries can be worked on to not have so many negative attributes, you know, in terms of their self-life and also how the batteries are developed. It's going to allow more and more people as we age to use bicycles rather than their big cars. So those are two things that I'm kind of keeping my eyes on. The tourism wrapped up in bicycling and also the whole surge of e-bikes. And put them together and you can go the 104 miles from Northampton to Boston in a day. Yep, in a day. All right, George. Well, thanks for coming on Bike Talk again. Oh, Nick, it's always good to see you. Thanks for getting this word out and doing your own advocacy. All right, George Kohal, President, Friends of the Northampton Trails. That was great. And I love this idea of trying to rebrand Critical Mass as sort of a bike festival. It started out of this idea that we have to take back our streets. And the only way to do it was to create Critical Mass. It would be wonderful if we had a world where we didn't need Critical Mass. But I think we still do. And we have someone joining us, Patty Weens from Winnipeg. That's correct. Winnipeg, Canada. But your Twitter handle is? <laughs> Patty, Brazilian Queen of the North. Kind of started because I wear a tiara 
on my helmet year-round. Are you riding a big, fat tire bike? What are you riding? I was last year, but in your tires are a little bit better with the ice, and especially with climate change, we find that our temperatures are fluctuating a lot more than they used to. So we've been talking a lot about how you message the good fight. Where do you come down on that? Our critical mass here has a history of confrontation with the police. There was a lot of that in the early 2000s. And even though we kind of have a different approach now, which is a little bit more like it's a peaceful protest, it's mostly peaceful, except for the drivers that are not too happy that we're on the road. We pay for these roads, we pay property tax, and yet we are second-class citizens. We don't get the infrastructure that keeps us safe. And it takes so much to happen for someone to say, okay, fine, you can have safety. We have to fight so hard for our safety. So critical mass is that idea of taking over the streets like one big vehicle and slowing everything down. One of the riders said in the critical mass is, you don't like us here? Then just call your city councilor and ask for more bike lanes. You know, one of the things that a lot of people say is it doesn't really serve our interests to annoy drivers. Well, they're driving weapons, right? And so many times they use their cars as weapons. A perfect example in the last critical mass, I was quirky in intersection, which is when I hold back traffic on an intersection so that all riders can get through safely. And then I go in the back and make sure And at the end of the ride, this driver was wearing a T-shirt that said, Every Child Matters, which is a recognition that everything that happened with uh, residential schools. So he's in favor of Every Child Matters, but he's using his car angrily, trying to cut into, push into the bikes. And I kind of lost my temper. I said to him, be careful. You don't want to kill somebody on camera. And he kind of jolted out of his anger because he didn't realize that he was using his car like a weapon and that there are children in critical mass riding their bicycles. And it's as easy as hitting someone and they hit the pavement and they can die, right? So it doesn't serve us to be angry at drivers because what they drive is so much scarier than what we ride. Part of what we have to do as advocates maybe is win hearts and minds and win the hearts and minds of people who are so car-centric. It's like the idea of bike lanes is impossible to them. I don't have a real answer for this. I'm just asking. If you're not there, they think, well, what's the point of having bike lanes? There's no bikes around. So either way, you seem to lose. I think that making yourself visible is the only way to really say, okay, fine, have this bike lane, get out of my way. But even then, that doesn't always work. I think that's a really good point that there has to be a visible spectacle. There has to be something for people to see. And it's either that or they see people run over by cars. Well, Patty, thank you for (laughs) coming on Bike Talk. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to be back. Do you think there's anything that we, the people of the North, can help you with? Absolutely. Bye, guys. Nick, you missed a good bike fest last weekend. Seamus and I were there. It was scorching hot. I really liked seeing Councilwoman Raman and Assemblymember Laura Friedman together on the stage. I got some sound bites from the people there. As you said, Nithya Raman, who's a council member here in LA, won an award last year. And Laura Friedman, who's an Assembly member, won an award this year. But also what was interesting, a project 
won an award, which is Sunset for All. Here's some quick sound bites from the Bike Fest. And the first one is the organizer and the head of Bike LA, Eli Akira Kaufman. The man behind Bike Fest. <laughs> Oh, I don't know if I'm behind it, in front of it, to the side of it, yeah. Anyway, welcome, Taylor. Welcome, Bike Talk. We're so psyched that you're here, and it's a great party. And what's nice about it, it's a real mix of the different groups in L.A. that are all supporting safe streets. That's right. We have folks from the chapters that we work with. We have the LABAC, the L.A. Bicycle Advisory Committees here in force. And then we have a bunch of locally owned businesses, bike-friendly businesses that have come out to support. This place where we are, Highland Park Brewery, you're going to hear from Bob, the owner. He's car free is a cyclist didn't know that supports his staff yeah. with bike parking and to make sure that they feel comfortable in riding and it's just great to just get bike-minded people yeah. together you know i think a bike fest is the kind of thing that can be done in cities all over the country to bring the different advocates together to get them all on the same page yeah that's really the idea is just to get some hangout time together we took a feeder ride along sunset boulevard right. just to see what the current experience is and to talk about how we can make it better in the future so yeah it's just great to be around people who are inspired by and concerned with the right. same things that we've been fighting for. So yeah, it's great. And to celebrate the movement forward. That's right. Our whole point is to uplift. We're going to be honoring a couple key people, Laura Friedman, who's been an elected official for many years right. in many different capacities. And she's also running for office now. She is. And so that's really exciting. We look forward to her continued leadership. We have Tafari Bain from Cyclavia, right. chief strategist, who really designs the routes and thinks about how to make them people-centered. And then we have the Sunset for All community. Great. This is like uh, 10 to 15 people have really been yeah. pushing hard to reimagine that corridor. It's amazing how much struggle it takes to turn one or two miles of car-dominated road into streets for all. That's right. It's really a shame, but that's why gatherings like these are so important. So we're psyched that Bike Talk is here, and we are looking forward to continuing to build and grow the movement. Eli, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, as always. I'm here with Laura Friedman, who is the assembly member for District... 44. 44, but you're running for Congress in Adam Schiff's seat, which is District... 30. 30. And so why are you at Bike Fest? I'm here because bicycle infrastructure and transit are part of the policies that I center, along with housing and equity and public health. And so being here with the bike community is really important to help build that momentum to make the changes that we know we need in Los Angeles for a better quality of life. Did you ride here? I did. I love that. And I'm also here with Seamus Garrity, our co-host. Seamus, why also is Laura here? Because she's getting an award is what I meant. Oh, yes. She <laughs> is getting an award for how incredible she is as a transportation leader. She's definitely my mentor. I wouldn't be on Bike Talk today without having worked for her. She got all these amazing ideas, all these accomplishments in the legislature. Laura, thank you very much for being on Bike Talk. They're going to give you the award now, I think. Thank you so much. I'm here with the entitled cyclist, Tom Morash. How you doing? Doing all right. How you doing? Tell me why you're at Bike Fest. I am at Bike Fest because it's that one time a year where we all get to see each other. Especially for me, I see all of you behind the keyboard or when I'm posting on social media or interacting on social media or the occasional Bike to Strike ride or right. whatever it is. Right. But this is a great time where everyone gets together and we kind of celebrate what biking in L.A. can be and should be. and What it can be and should be. Totally. That's so true. And your videos go a long way in showing that. They're very fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, try. <laughs> what was the most recent one? Most recently, I actually did a ride around Disney of the WGA and 
SAG after strike picketers before the WGA strike ended. But you often show how the bike lanes are blocked by everybody, police included. Mm-hmm. Yes, police, parking enforcement are my favorite when they're in the bike lanes. I've seen a lot of that lately. Yeah, try to show not just bad driving, but bad infrastructure, because I think the biggest problem we have is really when they meet. When we have bad infrastructure and bad driving or opportunistic drivers who take advantage of bad Right. I think bad infrastructure leads to bad driving. Wide open roads leads to speeding. So we all know that bike lanes make roads safer for everybody. Totally agree. The more separated we can be from drivers, safer it is for us, safer it is for people walking, keeps us off the sidewalk, safer it is for people driving, because then they don't have to try to navigate a situation that maybe they're not comfortable navigating when cyclists are taking over a road, because they've been led to believe that they have dominance over everyone else on the road. Led to believe. (laughs) Led to believe by years of law and lack of enforcement, yes. Exactly. Well, Tom Morash, the entitled cyclist, thanks a lot. Good talking to you. I'm here with Philip Armstrong, who is a member of the Los Angeles Bicycle Advisory Committee. Philip, why are you at BikeFest? Well, I came the first time last year when I was new to the bike committee, and I was looking to get more insights into what people are interested in and what I could do as an appointee to the Bike Advisory Committee. Great. And it's nice because we're mixing a bunch of different groups. The Bicycle Advisory Committee, Sunset for All, Streets for All, Bike LA is here. Yes, our transportation deputy for CD13 is also here showing his support. Yeah, and there's some politicians here, so it's really a good mix. This is the kind of thing that can be done in any city to bring the bicycle advocates together and have them commingle and get on the same page as how to move forward to make streets safe. I can't agree with you more. It's really important to have this kind of meeting of the minds. Yeah, synergy, right? Yeah, yeah synergy. Philip Armstrong, thank you very much. The man behind Sunset for All. Terrence, what is Sunset for All? Well, first of all, I have to say I'm part of a large community team that oversees Sunset for All. Sunset for All is a community-driven project to install 3.2 miles of protected bike lanes, bus improvements, and pedestrian safety improvements along 3.2 miles of Sunset and Santa Monica Boulevards in between East Hollywood and approximately Dodger Stadium, Echo Park. It's technically Douglas Street. Oh, that's great. For our listeners who aren't from Los Angeles, Sunset Boulevard is this iconic road that goes from the beach all the way into the Inland Empire, and you guys are just trying to turn three miles of it into a walkable, livable, rideable area. Is that correct? Absolutely. It's totally correct. So into a complete street. What does that mean? A complete street means you have the entire menu of options to use the street instead of being forced into driving your car. So hopefully in the Sunset Boulevard that we imagine is that you can choose the mode of travel that makes the most sense for each trip. So you wouldn't be forced into your car or risk your life on a bike or feel more comfortable letting your kids scoot along the sidewalk or take that transit trip to get places or if you need to go a longer distance taking that car but making sure that there's more certainty that you're not going to have people weaving in and out in front of you because you don't have space for every mode of travel. I think one thing that's really cool about it is that everybody has heard of Sunset Boulevard. You have the famous films. LA is one of the media capitals of the world. And I think that one of the things that excites me about this is the fact that if we can make Sunset Boulevard a complete street, it says to all the other towns across the United States, hey, in the most quote-unquote car-centric city, the most iconic boulevard on it is now something that appeals to everyone, not just people in cars. I think it's going to be really influential. If you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Precisely. New York, eat your heart out. Right? Tell me where you are in the process, if you can. 
So we have been doing a lot of outreach. We have four unanimous neighborhood council motions. We have had city council unanimous motions. We have walked the entire 3.2 miles and knocked on every single business door and handed them a brochure that's bilingual with bilingual outreach workers. We've held dozens of events. We've raised $60,000 from over 360 local community members to also finance the preliminary engineering so that we could make it grant eligible. So after all of this work, the current council office is extremely supportive. They have plans that we can't talk about completely right now. We're waiting for everything to work its way through, but things are going fairly well. They're very encouraging, and we think we're going to have some exciting news in the not-too-distant future. Great. And you guys are being recognized today at Bike Fest. Is that correct? We are. We're very honored. Bike LA has been a wonderful partner for us this entire way. We started out as a local group of parents in Silver Lake. Bike Dad, I think, is your name online. Is that right? Bike Dad is technically my nom de guerre on Twitter. And so it's just a group of local parents looking for, like, why is it so dangerous here? And then at the same time, there was the Central Neighborhood Ambassadors Group of Bike LA, which covered downtown LA to Hollywood, which is the same neighborhoods where we were in. And these two groups heard that we were both looking and trying to make Sunset safer. We combined forces into Sunset for All. And it was also just like a really cool democratic process because they asked everybody in the Central Neighborhood District, what is the most important corridor to make safer? And the vote came back, Sunset for All, overwhelmingly. When we talked to all the parents in Silver Lake, we were like, these campaigns are so expensive in time and resources. What would be the most important corridor that we could put this time into? Everybody wanted Sunset Boulevard. So it's a really grassroots way of saying, we need this corridor improved. How long have you been working on it? I've been working on it since 2016. Wow. I can't believe I'm saying We're We're in 2023 right now. We're in 2023. Uh, I'm in it for climate change and my kids. Yeah, yeah. And it gets me concerned that it takes this long to turn the steering wheel of government. Well, someday people will look back and think, you know, who's the guy that did this? And it'll be partly you. There will be a little part of it that will have been me. And hopefully, I think what we're all looking for is we're looking for that tipping point project where something like this, which has the support of the community and ends up being implemented super successfully and connecting 100,000 people to the subway safely and efficiently, where people can start pointing to it in the city of LA and going, we want this too. And so we're really hoping for a tipping point. Terrence, thanks a lot. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you. I'm here with... Gabrielle Lassard. And why are you at Bike Fest? I'm here to show my support for the Bicycle Coalition. I think the work that it does in advocating for safer infrastructure for biking and walking in Los Angeles is critical. I have been a member since 2001, although I... Oh, wow. That's almost all the way from the beginning. You're the OG. I'm the OG. I remember when we opened the bike bridge and when we got bike lanes on Sunset. And those bike lanes on Sunset are still the drop-off point for every Uber bride who are taking people to brunch in Silver Lake. But I'm hopeful that someday we'll actually have protected bike lanes like Bogota, Colombia, where I was a few months ago, which is absolutely stunning in the depth of its bicycle infrastructure. We are one of the world's great cities, and we are absolutely failing in terms of fundamental public safety that is necessary for environmentally friendly means of transportation. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. That was not prompted at all. I just got back from Europe, and I feel the exact same way. I'm scared on our streets, and I'm a very confident, strong cyclist, and I think that's why events like these are important. I agree with that. Thank you very much for being on Bike Talk. Okay, thank you. 
I want to send our love to Eli Kira Kaufman, the executive director of Bike LA, whose family is experiencing a hard time. Absolutely. Do you want to take us out with a quote? There is beauty in silence, and there is silence in beauty. And you can find both on a bicycle by Mehmet Ildan. And that was Bike Talk. If you have a story, a tip, or a topic, head over to biketalk.org and send us a message. Talk again next week. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, put your feet on the pedals, and ride it all around, ride it all around.